Out of the 93 Best Picture winners, one must be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast where we are taking a look at every single Best Picture winner in complete random order. That's the whole gist of it. And this week, boy, oh boy, we have got a film to talk about. It's Mutiny on the Bounty from 1935, quite a ways back in the past, directed by Frank Lloyd, starring Clark Gable, probably on there, Charles Lawton, and, uh, and a couple of other people. Pretty interesting film about boats. Uh, We'll see. It takes place mostly on a boat. We're going to get into it, though, but before we do, a little bit of housekeeping from last time. I know we took a little bit of a break, but we're back better than ever. We talked about Chariots of Fire from 1981. It ended up at 35th place on our list, our ever-growing list of 42 films, and it had an average score of what we decided was a 5.4 through our highly advanced, highly statistical averaging system of our ranks. So there we go. Um, I'm pretty excited to talk about this film, but before we get into it, we got our highlighted comment from last time. And so Tanner, why don't you hit sock it to me? Who's, who's got what to say? We always appreciate, you know, a nice informed comment. We get, we get some from our classic guys like John Tor and and Dan Eberhardt, but, uh, we have to specifically feature Phil Wood this week, uh, our presumably one and only British viewer who says BLB certainly doesn't stand for British loving boys, does it? You have gone and done, you gone, done, went hating on us again. And I say, Phil, try making, try making a good movie next time. Yeah. It's all <laughs> well, as, you, as the representative for all British people, you try making a better movie next time. No, we love you, Phil. We love all of our, all of our, our quest viewers. And leave a comment on this video if you want to be featured next time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and hit that like and subscribe and download button on whatever well, platform you're doing. Yeah, you're going to be down there anyway. So, Mutiny on the Bounty doesn't exactly inspire a whole lot of confidence in British people um, either, actually, as it happens. So, oh, well. initial initial thoughts. Who wants to get it started? Tucker, maybe? Sure, why not? Uh, because I think this is a phenomenal film. I mean, it's yeah. it's easily amazing in most categories i think and i was just blown away by how much i enjoyed this for the vast majority of its runtime i had a few issues when it comes to the overall pacing and structure and things like that but from most perspectives i thought this was a hell of a lot of fun and way better than i thought it was going to be there you go abram yeah uh i agree that this movie is great i i had no expectations for it uh, to be totally transparent, I had to do a bunch of really monotonous uh, Japanese homework. So I was making flashcards for like the first 20 minutes of the movie. So I'm like, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to enjoy this movie, right? Mm-hmm. But but very quickly, I, I think I got wrapped up in how amazing the scale of this movie is and how inventive it is in terms of the way it's shot and, and all the energy and the chaos. I think it, I think it's fairly flawed. I, I think it has issues with character, and I think that the pace does, you know, it takes some weird turns that I think, I think this probably could have been a 90, 100-minute film, and it probably could have been stronger. But I was genuinely surprised by how much I enjoyed this. There you go. Tanner? Um, I'm in the same boat as, as Tucker and Abram, you know. Yeah, the bounty, or, or maybe the Pandora, if you will. Uh, but I don't know if you want to get on that one. No, probably not. 
But uh, yeah, I was I was sort of this is a surprise hit all the way back almost 100 years ago that uh, I was really I was really engaged in uh, Tucker and I we, we were we were sitting they were on the edge of our seats we're like what's gonna happen next what's gonna happen next to our favorite our classic guys Clark Gable Charles Lawton I think the cast knocks out of the park here. I think the scale, like Abram said, is phenomenal. And I do have some of the similar issues uh, that Tucker and Abram said about the pacing, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. But yeah, surprise hit all the way back from 1935. Really, I'm just going to sound like a little pirate's parrot here because I agree with all of these points um, pretty much exactly. Surprise, I didn't really have any expectations. I went into it and this film just like starts and it, you're in. It, it has like mm -hmm. zero exposition before the plot like really begins, which is fun, um, yeah. especially for older movies. You expect long, drawn out. We got to set up all these characters, but no, we're boom, we're in, uh, and we're all, we're having seafaring adventures, which is uh, which is really fun. I was really surprised at how good this movie looks. I do not know how they did the oh, majority yeah. of these shots. Did they uh, did they buy a ship? Did they just like film out in the middle of the ocean for weeks on end? Because the visual effects in this film were one of the most one of the most spectacular elements in my mind. And, and you know, we think about why did this film win Best Picture? And to me, that jumped out immediately as its first point. 1935, we have barely even invented rear projection um, in terms of visual effects. And yet this movie totally sells that we're on the high seas. And, and yet we couldn't have been on the high seas while we were filming. I don't know. The filmmaker in me really wants to learn how they did it because it's that impressive. Yeah, I mean, you just, you get sucked in right away and I think the first thing for me that showed me that this is going to be something a little more than I initially expected I expected sort of just a, a long drawn out drama on the high seas whatever you know people arguing which is you know what you get but this movie is a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be and yeah. right from those first few scenes you get surprisingly funny dialogue that is just chock full of sailor slang which is so much fun to like piece together and listen to them bantering back and forth with all these funny words and that's what pulled me in right away and then you get introduced to the characters in that way and as soon as you hit the 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 boats it's scale it's spectacle it's people climbing every which direction they possibly can deep background shots of people on other boats way in the background and i'm like this is 30 years before Lawrence of Arabia and Ben-Hur, which are both movies very much known for their scale and, and, and scope and, and depth. But this almost matches that 30 years before, and that's just ridiculously impressive. I remember yes. when we were talking, when we rolled this film, we were like, will, will the boats match up to that Ben-Hur scene? And yeah. while I think that the sheer spectacle of Ben-Hur and, and the color really adds a lot to it, this thing has a runtime. Like, it, it keeps it up. It's not one scene of boats. It's the whole movie. The whole yeah. movie takes place in and around these these ships, which just could not have been easy to do. That's just like, oh my God, a production nightmare. But it turned out it worked. <laughs> they, they, they put in the effort and it shows. So I I, I do a quick add here. I did um, I do kind of agree about some of some of these issues later in the film. We'll get into it, I think. Um, but let's let's start by going around about the characters. What did you you mm -hmm. know what what are your opinions on on our I guess our two leading men here and then our subsequent large cast of side characters. Yeah. So if I can if I can hop in here, let's just get my biggest issue of the movie out of the way. I don't think the characters are very good. Oh. Wow. Uh, hmm. I, I I think that they that they they fill niches in an interesting story, but I'm not sure that they're set up in an especially compelling way. I I think they feel very predictable. I think you kind of can understand pretty quickly oh the captain's kind of a jackass right and it's telegraphed early on but i just don't think that the characters 
the way that they're written doesn't give me a lot to grab onto. Okay, you've got a family. You fell, fell in love on Tahiti. You are tired of the captain's nonsense, right? And that's all good, and I think it's elevated by really excellent performances. I, I think the performances are what the, bring these characters to life, not the writing. And for me, I found that a little bit disappointing when they all kind of look the same. They all kind of sound the same. Roger and, and, and Fletcher are the only exceptions to that. And they come into their own a little bit. But even then, I think that it is the scope and it is the plot and, and the larger strokes of, of Mutiny on the Bounty that work for me, not necessarily any of the characters inherently. Hmm. See, now that's interesting because I actually was surprised at the at the nuance that I especially found in uh, Christian uh, Clark Gable and Bly, Charles Lawton. Because uh, starting off with Clark Gable, Christian... Um, it was really interesting after that after that mutiny took place, and you know there is there is that sense of lawlessness. There, there's a power vacuum essentially is what's going on there, and he has to sort of you know crack the whip a little bit and be like, no, we can't just you know kill all these people. We have to you know we have there's a certain sense of honor that we must that we must endure and you know send them out on their way. Uh, and in that same vein, following directly after that, I think the nuance of uh, Captain Bly is captured when he's on that small life raft with the 30 other guys or whatever it is. And you come to realize that he is a good sailor. He's a good he's a good seaman, if you will. Uh, but he's just not a good captain. He's not a good leader. He's an ass. He's an asshole. Like like uh, he's a jackass, like Abram said. And for that reason, that is what causes the conflict. But that is not to detract in any way from his sailing abilities. Yeah, I found that, sure. that that part interesting because I felt like the film definitely built up Bly as this as this character that we're very explicitly supposed to hate. We do mm -hmm. not we are we are in no way supposed to find any good parts in him whatsoever. And yet here at the at the end of the film in the last third or so, it's kind of like giving us a little crumb of like, oh, maybe we shouldn't totally dislike this guy, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, they didn't yeah. they didn't play into it as much for me to like go around. You know, he still treated the dudes on the boat like trash. You know, he, he was still a jackass. See, um, no, I disagree. Well, but they survived. On, but they on survived. On the lifeboat? Yeah, on the lifeboat. They survived, See, and so there's a certain element in my mind where it's like, well, maybe in that case he was justified. Um, but in every other case, you know, I hated him. Abram, what were we going to say? Well, I, to, to that point right there, I do agree mm -hmm. that if you want to talk about finding any nuance, I, I would agree that the, the boat sequence is good, like when... Um, they catch the seagull and the old man says, well, give it to the younger guys. And there's kind of like this playfulness and Bly where he's like, I still, you know, I still make the orders around here. You're going to drink this because I'm going to keep mm -hmm. you alive. But I, I think the reason that these feel like these moments feel like the exceptions to the rule for me is that I think mm -hmm. we get telegraphed pretty early on that, okay, we Fletcher, he is the moral man. You see yeah. very early on. Okay. The first transgression, the first whipping, right? Um, okay, he's not going to stand for this. And then you just find yourself waiting for his beats to happen. Mm -hmm. My, again, this is why I think the acting elevates the script a lot, because there are good moments here, but I, I just don't think that it that any individual character carries a lot. I'm reminded, God, I hate to make a film school reference here, but you oh, think no. about your, your Battleship Potemkins or something, the idea mm -hmm. of, like, of the collective protagonist. And for me, I think that's what succeeds here. And you mm. do have those tensions between, but ultimately, we're, we're supposed to identify with the guy who has the kid and the wife back home. But that's 
that's kind of surface level. That that's that's yeah. my issue. I, I don't I don't think that the characters are as memorable as what surrounds them. And for me, they felt like pieces enabling the really exciting narrative that that unfolds across the film. Sure. I, I think for me, the reason that the relative simplicity of those characters isn't actually a huge hindrance for the film is because they do serve as cogs in this large narrative that I think is really thematically interesting, told in a really interesting way, progresses in a really interesting way that's pretty surprisingly slow, all things considered, even though every specific sequence is very fast-paced and chaotic, it, it takes a long time to really build that mutiny that you know is happening because of the title. But each of those characters fill their roles for that, and and seeing Bly, you know, be obviously the villain character for a huge amount of the movie, and then realizing that when you cut to him on the boat with, with the other guys, is that he he can lead them. He does have those skills. He does have another side that he can retract into that is pushing his leadership skills in, in a stronger way. But he also has people who still are loyal to him, regardless of him being mean to them. Like there's a lot of nuance here in terms of the, the theme of leadership styles and, and, um, and how all that, you know, layers on top of one another, which I think is brought even to a more interesting head. Of course you get the mutiny and you get them separating their separate ways. And then, uh, you have Bly going after Fletcher for a long time, and you have Fletcher leaving without really, uh, or taking the ship and having everyone leave without really consulting them. Like all of their leadership styles and goals and th and things of that nature are w so woven into the overarching plot that the fact that they're pretty one note in terms of their personalities is not that big of a deal to me. I, I think. Guess Oh, Abram, well, you can go I, ahead. I, I agree in, in, in part with you, but, but I think I have issues with the idea that the film is that thematically interesting, mm -hmm. I, I suppose. Be, because I essentially find the ending to be fairly unsatisfactory uh, in the way that that unfolds. And I find myself wanting a little bit more out of Roger, out of Bly, out of the way that the, the, um, the military uh, court rules on them, right? I, I think part of my issue with the characters feeling flat is because I think that the themes don't really get followed through on. And Tucker, you say things like, okay, we're going to leave with a sequence of them leaving Tahiti with Fletcher to go out to finding the next island, right? Mm -hmm. There's really not a whole lot of tension there, right? We see the one scene where the girls are like dancing and the guy goes to kiss her and then there's like the scuffle, right? But ultimately, I don't think that uh, that tells you a whole lot. I, I, I think that we get a very rosy kind of rugged Fletcher ending. And then we get what I found to be a kind of muddled ending for everybody else. Um, in the last scene where we see Roger get on board the ship again, for me, I wasn't quite sure how I was supposed to take that. I, I, I Again, I think for me, it speaks to perhaps not the strongest script in the world. I, I really do think that the script is carried in large part by performance and by set design and set pieces. So I don't know how I feel about the, about the thematic elements of the movie. So, I will um, say in okay. um, my personal enjoyment of these characters comes from the understanding. I, I pretty much know where the film is going from the moment it opens. I know we're going to build up. We're going to get more examples of the captain being horrible and, and mistreating the crew. And then eventually it's going to break. There's going to be a breaking point. And so just the way that the characters interact in those individual moments is what drives the interest for me throughout the, the first 
two-thirds of the film until we get to the, the mutiny. Um, and then to not make a film school reference, but a film bro reference, it's kind of like in the Wes Anderson movie, the Darjeeling Limited, they, they, they go off mm. the train. When, you, when, you, when you're done with the mutiny and the film continues on for another half hour after the mutiny is done, I feel like it, we lose our way because we're, we're less concerned with these, this very tight narrative, I think, of, you know, how do we get to the mutiny? basically is 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 what's going on. But then once the mutiny is done, we have all these ends that we're trying to wrap up and it and it takes a long time. And so that's where I feel the film is a little bit more misguided in its execution and in its ending, probably, um, if it were to just stick with this mutiny story. Um, but, you know, I, I, I liked the, the way that, it, I, I was confused kind of at the end. I kind of agree with Roger's character. Like he gets on the boat, but he's, he was a convicted mutineer and he wasn't supposed to be, He's like still on death row. Like he's gonna get killed someday, maybe. I don't really know how he gets resolved, but um, or any of the other characters in the court, for that matter. We're not really shown. Yeah. That. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, thing that you brought up, Abram, about about the thematic, you know, the thematics of this film. Uh, and I think you have a good point about the follow through, maybe. But I think there's a lot of like understated stuff that that comes across very well. Um, and this can be like a difference of opinion because I know that we had a, a similar disagreement on uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You made a you made a film school reference. Timo made a film bro reference. I'm bringing a meta around. I'm making a quest reference because Whoa. I think Bly real bro reference. Bly represents the same sort of you know orderly uh, overseeing big brother sort of like government like regimented force that uh, Nurse Ratched represents in One Flew Over mm -hmm. the Cuckoo's Nest. And um, I, I know when we talked about that film, yeah, you had some issues about that being a bit simplistic in that nature. Um, but yeah, it, it, in a lot of ways, if you think about it, this film really is similar to that. It's at its core, it's about freedom and self-respect. And, you know, there, there's a there's a point in the film in which uh, your Jack Nicholson or your Clark Gable leads a, a mutiny against the regimented system led by Bly or Nurse Ratched. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the, that whole Bly's, uh, role as that regimented system is really great. Uh, and I think the follow through thing there, it does carry a bit of water on like, or I guess like a boat, uh, because drinking water, the mutiny, the mutiny scene is, uh, somewhat, you know, uh, problematic for, for lack of a better term in my mind, because I told, I, I, Tucker and I were talking about this. So we see the scene where Bly sort of forces uh, Doctor Bacchus to come up from up from the brig. You know, he he's he's very sick. He's on the verge of death. He forces him to come up, and he Bacchus arrives. He's he's put on his uniform. And he drops dead right in front of the entire crew. And that's a great moment because you see there's the, there's a great musical sting right there the entire crew is staring at him they have that they have this look on their face clark gable has a great look on his face even charles lawton captain bly you see a, a look of realization come, come come across his face it's like oh shit i just messed up i killed our surgeon and that's where i thought the mutiny was going to happen that moment right there but it was really only like the final straw that wasn't even the final straw actually that's where the mutiny should have happened instead of this c tier character being beaten up in the brig by another c tier character and that's where clark gable draws the line 
that is a bit of an issue for me just because i think that initial scene of bacchus dying is so well executed that it would have been a lot more impactful as the mutiny scene i think yeah. there's a couple there's a, i agree with you um and like the powerful i think they might have written themselves into a corner logistically they needed to have some certain people be in certain places and have access sure. to the muskets and there's there's a lot of like non I like emotional non like story beat reasons why they had to do it there. I agree with you. That would have been, I mean, that would have made the, uh, the mutiny scene, I think far more impactful because probably my like least favorite part of the film, the part that I was looking forward to the most boy, I was like, Oh man, I cannot wait for this mutiny to happen. I am so ready. I really want to watch. Uh, I really want to watch the captain get what's coming to him. I am so, so ready for this. And then when it happens, it's like kind of really unsatisfying in my mind it, mm-hmm. it it happens it's it's a sort of action scene it's probably not the best action scene in the film um and it just is like blah, 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 mutiny okay it's done and then i'm like oh wait what, what i was looking forward to this and now and so i was i was kind of disappointed and maybe that's coming from it being placed strangely and the impetus for the 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 whole thing not exactly happening where i wanted it to mm. i for me i i think i i think i disagree uh on that point and it kind of goes to what Tanner was saying about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? In that film, and to kind of continue your parallel forward, you have the individual and you have the big apparatus, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my problem with carrying that here is I don't think we have the individual particularly well-defined, right? Because in Cuckoo's Nest, you had an ensemble cast of all very recognizable individuals. Mm-hmm. And here you don't really. What you have essentially is people subservient to the crown. And, and I think what made this the, the death of the surgeon powerful for me in the absence of the mutiny was the fact that these people are not individuals. They are a collective that is subservient to this larger idea and, and not even this egregious death is going to shake that. And that kind of, for me, underscores where I where I find the tones to kind of fizzle out because I think you could have had more interesting discussion on the extent to which people were or were not loyal to that government. It ends up it ends up feeling a bit black and white with various characters, or like like when um the uh, Fletcher's pearls get confiscated and he's like, "This is for the crown," and the type of subtext being "Not for you." I I feel like those themes didn't quite get explored. And I think that mm. the death of the surgeon was a nice opportunity to subtly do that. But I found the mutiny sequence to still be pretty compelling, right? Because I didn't, I didn't want it to be overwrought and I don't think it is. I think it's very quick. Mm. And I, I think there's a, there's a real energy there in the chaos of who's who, why are we all fighting? What's going on? Right. I think that was actually conveyed pretty well. So I wouldn't have changed a lot about it. I think the reason for me, also, I agree. I think the mutiny scene is is great, and I, I think that the reason it works so well for me is because of how fantastic all the filmmaking elements work together in this in this movie. I mean, every aspect of the filmmaking is is working together to create a really energetic and exciting film that carries the, its spectacle across the entire runtime. There are a few moments where it drags, but I think even then, that's just sort of to release some tension so it can ramp back up. And and I'm just recalling that first sequence where they're loading up the boat and just the edit this fast-paced editing and the music building and people climbing up ropes and shots of people's faces and i i I just thought that was absolutely fantastic and that was the energy that really roped me into the movie pun intended Mm. uh and and it, it was carried throughout and especially because i think that mutiny scene is is well done and then 
you kind of are able to with the fact that that doesn't end the movie. It's kind of almost the halfway mark a little bit after. You get to see a lot of the aftermath of that. What did it cost? They had to send off all these people. Now there's not really a structure. Uh, Bly has to take care of his men now. They're, they have to get used to Fletcher being the captain. Fletcher has to step into those shoes. The mutiny is really just the onus to flesh out these characters even more, which is where I find that thematic value. But all of that is just driven by the incredible filmmaking fundamentals that are at work here. Yeah, yeah I, I, also, I think the cinematography in this film is great. There's not one yeah. shot that, that looks bad in my mind or, you know, reminds me of American in Paris when another another Quest reference, when we got those those matte screen, the green, blue screen shots of, yeah. of them in the car that just look awful. I mean, they're just like, the VFX is just not good. And this film had to have a lot of, I'm going to keep bringing it up because it is truly awe-inspiring to me, but like, you know, those people climbing on those ropes, those guys were, mm-hmm. they, they really were climbing on those ropes. And and they mm-hmm. that was, you know, I don't think that was a model ship. That was a real ship. They were really out there, you know. There are, you know, big wide shots of this thing in high seas. And the only way I could really think of, of them doing it and having it look that good is to have a, a big ship out in the water and the seas mm-hmm. are rolling. And, uh, and to me, that just is like, I love to see that kind of stuff. I love it. Yeah. It's really controlled, and I think that's so cool. There is a lot of chaos in it. Also, even the quiet shots are really like, like there's this one wide shot where they're sitting at a table, but like the bottom of the frame is kind of off, like the floor of, of the boat is like at an angle to the bottom of the frame because they're trying to convey that we're rolling. Yeah. They're just really small details, not even set dressing, really small production, actual filmmaking details here that are so clever and feel really inventive even today, I, I really think that the movie is just so fun to watch. And I think that the practical element gives it a real sense of tension that I find missing from a lot of a lot of films. So I was constantly riveted by this movie. And that's not something that's able to happen a whole ton. I will say my I, in a film that is really technically excellent. I think there's a lot of shots that weirdly end that weirdly cut like at the last line yes, of dialogue yes. off. And I did not understand why that kept happening because it a didn't feel of, stylistic at a certain point. It a just lot felt of fade, very strange. The, at the end of the scene you're talking about when they would fade yeah. out and we'd fade into the next and they would be talking and like the last line would not be done when that when we'd be totally black. Yeah, interesting yeah, choice. Yeah. Don't really know what's that, going on there. That's something that I've noticed a lot as I've watched more old movies is that's just something that Hollywood movies did back in the day. And I'm like, mm. why? Give your scene a little bit of more room to breathe after they finish the line. You do not need to fade to black right as they're It's like four the frames. It's so infinitesimal. It's, it's ridiculous. But yeah. I, I, for me, the reason that doesn't really bother me is because I've, I've recognized over the years that I'll watch more old movies that this is just something they did. And it, like, it's frustrating, and it used to piss me off a lot more than it does now. But I think also the reason that that doesn't frustrate me too much is because this movie has so much to go over. And I think that is both a strength and a, a weakness of it, is some of the sections feel like they're padding on the... Or not padding, but they, okay, it's it's still going, we have another scene, we have another scene. But even though it does feel like that on, on the large scale, in each sequence, I think they're all really interesting. And it does keep going and keep adding more layers to this story. It's not just on the boat, it's the off the boat and then back on the boat and then the boats split and then you have the guys in the courtroom and you have them surviving on the island and stuff like all. There's so many layers to this story that in the those tiny moments, maybe there's a little bit of weird editing choices, but it manages to balance so much in the large scale that, that it doesn't even really bother me in the end. 
I mean, sure. we really haven't touched on the on the scenes in Tahiti, where yeah. which it's I think is is a pretty good choice to have that happen before the mutiny. I mean, I don't know how it would happen after the mutiny, but um, you know, I it's 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 a scene change, it's a scenery change, it's a, like a nice refresher. There's new characters, we're getting new yeah. relationships are being built, and and I found found those scenes to be fun and interesting in a in a very different way. There's a lot less tension. It's it 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 it's almost like the film like the film style and the film like pacing is now in an island paradise mm-hmm. as sure, the yeah. setting is like in taking an a island vacation paradise. in the middle of the movie yeah yeah True. you take a little vacation and then you're back in it and you're back in the tension on the high season and it works oh, uh thank you for bringing up uh the the Tahiti the tahitians uh in the parts of tahiti because i'm no expert on you know native cultures and stuff like that but i'm fairly certain they would have had a concept of currency because all things considered, and Tucker and I said this, from our perspective, this seems like a not overtly racist portrayal uh, of Native people, which is really kind of impressive for 1935. If yeah. you, if, if I don't say, if I don't say so myself, I was waiting for some sort of. I was waiting for brown face. I was waiting for you know terrible stereotyping, but it never really happened. I mean. If you look into it, maybe not all of those actors were actually, you know, Polynesian or, or actually Tahitian or something like that. But other than that, um, I thought that it was treated with a decent amount of respect. There's an interesting subplot about the language that happens there on the island. Yeah. Um, and while I have absolutely no clue how accurate uh, any of that is, that it is included and that that's like, a you know, a point. It's it's interesting. Yeah. It's a respectful way to include the exploration of clashing of cultures, which is why I think that Tahiti section is really interesting to me. While it is slower and maybe it does go on a little bit too long, I think it certainly could have been cut down. Um, I, I really like how respectful it is to the idea of these cultures coming together and them having to, to figure out how they communicate and you know they are doing business with one another and they are showing each other how their cultures work. And I, I thought it was a really fun respite from the tension of the rest of it, which is why even though it could have been cut down, I'm still, I'm very glad they had it in there. Uh, it, it could have easily been a write-off section where, okay, well, this is just not related to the plot, but I think it gives you a chance for the for you to breathe from the tension, for the characters to breathe from the tension, and to have some development away from that tension where you get Christian Fletcher, you know, trying to go get off and have some fun and fighting, rebelling a little bit against Bly more directly and building those relationships with the with the love interests, which are on the on the whole pretty weak, but I think it does develop both uh, Byam and Fletcher's characters a little bit better um, in terms of them exploring the world a little bit more in a, you know, in a direct sense. Um, but I, I really, really did enjoy the Tahiti section, especially looking back on it. I was just going to yeah, say was... that it's a studio system film. Got to have a little romance. Can't have romance in a in a in a production code era film with sailors together on a boat. And so, yeah, yeah, that yeah, it's it's like it's a predictable thing. But it's like okay, another example of like this is an an artifact of the time. Uh, and well, you know, whatever, whatever. I liked it. I liked too. it though. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I was a Tahiti hater when we went the first time because it felt like an unnecessary digression. But when we returned to Tahiti, I think this is, again, speaking to the exceptions to the rule of my issue with the characterization here, I think we do get some really nice moments and we get a little bit more meat on the bone for some of these characters. I, mm. Is his name Ellis, the one who, the young guy who had the yes, wife and the child? Mm-hmm. The scene where he sees Fletcher's Ellison. baby... Uh, and it's like, oh my god, like the sort of recognition of like my my kid is getting older, right? And I'm not there for it, right? And will being willing to 
hang to see his his family one more time. I I think that that the the fact that we're slowing down a little bit and taking more time for the characters, opposed to just oh my god, it's so cool that they made this ship, and I just want to see the ship, and I want to see them do things on the ship, right? I think it's important to the film, and I do agree that it could have probably probably could have taken. Maybe one of the the beach dates could have been gone or something, right? <laughs> we didn't need to frolic quite as much as we did, but I, I do think it was important to the film. Yeah, uh, Timo, funny mm-hmm. that you uh, used off off the cuff brought up uh, how how maybe a production code wouldn't have allowed for well, uh, I... two si- two sailors to have a, a, a relationship because uh, will because Bly Charles Lawton was well you couldn't exactly be out in 1935, but it was sort of an open secret. Uh, and uh, this is this is my first and most interesting piece of, bit of trivia. I've been lacking on the trivia this episode. I'm I'm so so very sorry, but uh, I think he was a yeah producer. Irvin Thalberg cast Clark Gable and Charles Lawton together because in hope that they would have conflict, because apparently Clark Gable was pretty outwardly homophobic and Charles oh Lawton God. was sort of like an open secret that he was gay. Um, and they, they there was some there was some butting of heads on set ideologically. Apparently, Lawton um, brought his his quite a uh, burly and muscular boyfriend uh, to 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 filming one day, and they and he would uh, have he would have massages openly. And Clark Gable was apparently very not very happy that they were doing that just out in the open. Uh, so Clark Gable, <laughs> thanks, Clark. Get off your high horse, Clark Gable. What, get, get pull that stick out of your ass. How about? That's uh, funny. That's great trivia, yeah. Tanner. You, uh, the, the lack yes. of trivia is forgiven. That's okay. And I mean, regardless of the homophobia of the time, and of course, Clark Gable, don't be homophobic. I hope he hears this. Um, but, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. uh, <laughs> but I think it is interesting that the casting even went to that degree to get conflict out of those characters because you do feel a lot of tension between Bly and, and Christian and their, their way they bounce off each other and the tension in each of their conversations shines through and Unfortunately, it had to. It was in part inspired by their real life tension, but yeah. it does get the performance and interaction out of the characters. So, while I will shit on Clark Gable for being homophobic, I, mm-hmm. I in some way, appreciate that it brought out even more tension in the film. Just he a also weird had to shave. He had to shave his stupid little mustache for this film. So fuck you, Clark he looks, Gable. He looks good without it. Let's be real. <laughs> Just a weird quirk of filmmaking in that. The yeah, it's like is that manipulative? Is that like a a good creative yes. decision or a bad one? Like I don't because it works, but like is that a is was that the right? Who knows? Who knows? I don't That's really, really I don't really want to wade into that. That's just that is sure, an interesting sure. uh, an interesting aside there. But that very, is very one cool. of the most bizarre pieces of trivia you've ever brought to this show. Well, hey, well, hey, how about this? I'll, I'll lighten the mood a little bit because uh, as with as to answer Timo's questions about how what the filming and the, the ships and such. Uh, the ship was actually in a harbor in San Francisco. That's where they shot some of the ship stuff. The ship was called the Ellen, which is ironic for a film about a, a, a captain abusing their crew. Oh. <laughs> I, I've got actually a few more pieces of trivia. If I was, just want to go through a few more. All right. Um, is, yeah, sure. I think the most interesting thing about this movie that Tanner and I learned from a, a, another YouTube video, I might link it in the description, but um, oh, yes. is that... Is that this movie did something very, very important for the Oscars? Is this movie had one, two, three actors from it nominated for Best Actor? Whoa! From one movie, and they were like, "Wait, hold on! All these guys are great. We want to give them recognition. We can't do this again. That's that, that, that's way too much from one movie in one category." So the next year, 
they created the best supporting actor category. Yes, to of remedy course. that. This Tucker, movie directly created the category, which is fascinating. Yes. Tucker, if I may, I'll, I'm going to spin that off to talk about the the win, well, the win and noms, I should say, yeah. because it only won Best Picture, but it was nominated for Best Actor, Clark Gable, Best Actor, Charles Lawton, and Best Actor, Fran, Franchot Tonet. Is that how you say it? Some He's French fine. guy. Franchot Tonet. Uh, best Director for Frank Lloyd, uh, Best Screenplay, Best Film Editing, and Best Score. All perfectly well deserved in my opinion. Was there sure. was did it get snubbed for cinematography or it's just not a category yet? I don't know if that was a it, if that was a category or not. Oh, because there was like black and white. There was. there was black and white yeah. cinematography. It just didn't get the nom. Mm, yeah, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to go back in time and fix that one. Yeah, yeah. The, well, quest, well, the quest time machine will will on our on our quest back in time. We'll fix. We'll we'll remedy that and we'll teach Clark Gable not to be homophobic. Yeah, we'll go fight Clark Gable and then fix the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have one more thing. Uh, Charles Lawton, who played William Bly, obviously this great sailor, uh, was actually terribly uh, not not a very seafaring fellow and was seasick for most of the production. Ooh, oh, poor guy. Mm, not fun. Yeah. Poor guy. I, um, I do have a couple um, little funny things. What the heck is a breadfruit? This is a major plot. Know, that's an actual thing. That's I know it's real. From. The bread... Bread goes on trees? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, breadfruit are just like these big sort of lumpy fruits that are just full of carbs, so it's like really filling, which is why mm. they wanted to bring back 1,000 of those trees to feed that to slaves uh, so they could uh, power yes. their slaves with breadfruit. Um, but that that is an actual thing. Okay, yeah. I knew it was... I, I just, I just didn't... Yeah, I, I figured it was real. I just was like, oh, okay. Um, and the, then, I, I don't know exactly the details of this, but the historical accuracy of this, because based on a true story, is very questionable. I don't know yeah. the differences, but it's like really rocky in terms of what's made up for the plot and, and at this point because especially because it's a story we're not familiar with and it's a story that happened a very long time ago i don't give a shit this is basically made up like this is basically a fictional story in my mind so the historical mm -hmm. accuracy of it just does not impact my opinion on it whatsoever all history is made up <laughs> we made it up when we did it oh <laughs> nice one um and then my, my other thing was that tugger you talked about how the, the film is funny one of the funniest bits in the movie was the map the map where they're just like scribbling all over it and they're like going all over the place and they're totally not on the right path oh to yeah go. yeah and it's, <laughs> they balance between all those islands oh uh dr bacchus's thing about how oh he changes God. the story of his how he lost his leg every time so that's funny, funny. Oh, that was that's really funny. Funny. yeah every time you're like yeah like okay okay and, doctor and the, the sailors like pranking each other Oh, that yeah. was that was so good. I mean, it brings out so much charm oh, of these the, characters. Like the like and the thing like, when they're watching the lamp go back and forth, and they all yeah, get they keep sick. getting sick. Oh, it's so funny. Like this even the guy, it's surprisingly funny. Yeah, even the people, even uh, I think it was Byam who like initiated the prank. He looks at it and he also gets sick. And then Clark Gable's like, ah, oh, these these green horned sailors, and he looks at it and he starts going like, ah, oh, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, it's it's all part of the way that the film just like just shuttles you along um at a, at a at a clipper's pace to yeah. uh to just through through the through all this comedy and through all this tension um all the way to the end basically or at least yeah, yeah uh, all the way to the end i'd say remember I, I, when I, that I, guy I, gets hit by a slab of shark yeah uh, <laughs> i think i think what really punctuates all this though is that the the tone is great in all of its different regards it's got great comedy it's got great moments of of high octane 
action tension, seafaring goodness. And, and it has great tension between the characters, great dramatic moments, like you said, with Bacchus dying. And then you get something punctuated at the end, which is the real culmination is Byam's speech in the trial, which I think yes. is fantastically acted. It really brings out the conflict between all the characters and, and the themes about controlling and, and what the lies were told to the government to get all this to happen. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was a, way, a great way to cap it off and to give a big good character moment to someone who I thought on the whole was relatively weak, especially compared to Clark Gable and Charles Lawton. Byam mm -hmm. had that moment at the end where he was the one on trial, and, and I really loved that speech. Yeah. I I this I kind of felt like Aaron Sorkin had traveled back through time to write that. <laughs> for, for better and worse. I, I don't know. I, when he just flips, he's like, I'm about to die, so let me just let, me just let the writer do whatever the hell he wants. Oh, yeah. Here. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit corny, but, but I did. Once you get going in it, it was pretty good. I, again, it's an example of really good performances elevating yeah. kind of hokey material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a movie from 1935. I think you're right. The performance in this in this film, we haven't talked about them super explicitly. They are very very good. Clark Gable really does uh, do a lot of acting carrying um, throughout the film, and uh, you were talking about it, Tucker, with the with the just kind of understanding the tension between these characters is stuff that's left unsaid. Yeah. Little side note, I mean, it's movies. They say they're from Britain. They wear British clothes, and and we're like, okay, the British. They did not speak with accents. They did Clark not. Gables did not. They did not <laughs> try to do British. None of them did. Like nobody did. But like, whatever. Charles Lawton had an accent. He See? is British, I think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, most. Yeah. We'll blame it on my, like on my tone does. deafness. My tone deafness. How about I, that? I did end up thinking about that. I'm like, okay, wait. They are British, but Clark Gable's just Clark Gable right now. Like he's he, uh -huh. he's putting no no effort into changing his voice. But at a certain point, you're right. It's like it is a movie, and I don't really care that they're british i mean they they are so separated from the british rule which i think is really interesting in terms of them having their own seafaring culture and, mm -hmm. and talking about uh how the ways that they they punish people and rules of the ship all that is so separated that it doesn't even really matter that they're british they're 1700s sailing fellas it's it's a whole separate world out there uh barred from all the rules of normal civilization but so it does sort of create this otherworldly like does does it even matter which country they're from the the accents everyone just match they're all just they're all just sailors yeah it's, See, a, it's a separate world and they say Tucker, mate I, and it's great I I agree and I disagree and I'll, I'll be the I'll use this for my closing thoughts as well because something I didn't want I didn't mention about Bly's character is that uh, he really only mistreats and has this internal hatred for. These people that he views as disorderly, the convicts, the the common people who are drafted, essentially, to come aboard this ship. Those are the people that he has this disdain for, these lower members of society who don't have that that British honor as a soldier that he ha that sure. he views that he has. And uh, I think it, that just that just like is another thread that ties very nicely into this. The core of Mutiny on the Bounty, which is about, you know, self-respect and freedom from a, a tyrannical system uh, represented by Bly. And, you know, you get you get Clark Gable in here a, a, as Fletcher Christian, and he's he's just uh, he is the moral compass, as Abram said. But it is it's it's a hero's journey. He's essentially like maybe he's less uh, he's less conflicted or he's less of a, he's less of morally gray as Jack Nicholson and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. But he serves essentially the same purpose. He leads these people out of this tyrannical system. It's it's a hero's journey against against this 
uh, the, against this regime, essentially. And while it has the pacing issues, while it you know hits a bit of a wall at some at some points, I think the filmmaking fundamentals are there. I think the tension is there. I think the humor is there to keep you engaged throughout the story. And I think at the core, the thematic stuff is is absolutely there. I don't know if I if I I may be more a little bit um on on Abram's side about the thematic stuff. I'm not super bothered by it because I'm entertained, mm. and so I'm just kind of like you know riding the waves um of the film to just you know come to a I'm I'm enjoying watching the movie and and the fact that it's not like super super thought provoking um as like a regular movie is fine as a best picture winner we kind of want probably a little bit more out of out of you know it sure. it making me think and and my slight confusion towards the end doesn't really help that um mm. but just like out of pure enjoyment doesn't bother me too much and we'll probably knock it down a little bit in terms of our ranking because we have films that do both on this list. Yeah, sure. Yep. Is it number time? Is I think yeah, yeah. Is it number time. I think it's number time. Let's Ooh. do it. Oh, it feels feels like a feels like a long time since it was number time. But it's oh, number time. It's number time. My number. I've got mine loaded. Typed up, up and ready. Typed up and ready. Mine's ready. Boom. Hit that em- Hit that enter button. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. This is all. This is we got. We got some close ones. We got. We got some dips. We got some. We got some. We have, an we interesting have a number. big dip. A little yeah, bit of a big up, dip. Look at him up there. Look at that big dip. Look at that big dip over there. Okay. Well, <laughs> the um, the number that you've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. The average score of Mutiny on the Bounty is a seven point nine. Um, wow. actually a seven point eight five, but seven point nine, and um. And so the the point breakdown, I put it at the lowest with a 6.4, and then Abram put a 7.8, and Tucker and Tanner tied with a 8.6 each. Mm-hmm. So there Seems you go. Like Abram, you're pretty happy with this with this uh, number rating here. <laughs> yeah, I guess that works out. Do, do is there any ties, or does it fit there, nicely? Yes. So we have not only a tie in in one decimal place, but we we the 7.85, 7.9 is a double tie with French Connection. <gasps> So oh my God. what do we okay. think about this film um, versus French Connection? We haven't had to do this in a little while. I know. Uh, speaking of a time gap, it's been a long time since you watched The French Connection. Yeah. So, Why don't um, I take this first, if I can? Sure. If Go you, for if it, you, If you'd oblige me. Uh, I think French Connection above, above this movie any day of the week. Mm. I think one of my cardinal quest sins was not ranking French Connection high enough the first time mm. around. And I think I probably fixed that when we, when we did our official re-rank. But when I think about this film, um, and I think Timo and I probably have similar thoughts, I think this is a very good film from a lot of perspectives. But what holds it back for me from being great is what I feel under is underwhelming characterization and mm. muddled thematic material. Uh, Tanner, I see where where a lot of your points are coming from, but but I think that we're we're missing some of the components and some of the closure I would have wanted for the thematic mm. statements to be more than just kind of thematic concepts in, in my mind. Okay, and I I think that. There is such a such a precision to French Connection. I think that there are really memorable characters and ideas there, and for me that that puts it a, a, above this. Even though I really believe that this is a very entertaining film, I, I think on entertainment value, this is really something special. But I look at French Connection. You think about chasing the the subway when it's when it's above you, and you're riding into police. You know all this stuff, right? That mm. is that is that is I think that same entertainment value, but backed with a little bit more substance. Because something that Timo mentioned, and I don't think I said enough of, is that this movie is very predictable. 
I really don't necessarily think you're watching it for the plot, right? I do think that a lot of this is carried by spectacle, and I think there's a little bit more weight behind something like a French Connection. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty much those thoughts exactly. I would recommend this film, uh, um, Mutiny on the Bounty, as like a fun watch to, to anybody, especially to someone who's maybe not super into older films. I'd be like, I think this would be a pretty good yeah. one to get into. You yes. Because it, it doesn't feel very old moment to moment. Um but I think French Connection as like a Best Picture winner, as as it, they're extremely different movies. They're, this, is, mm-hmm. this is a tough job that we have given ourselves here. But um, French Connection does just eke out over Mutiny on the Bounty with a little bit more in thematic material, and and French Connection I think has has is visually more stylistic. It it, mm. it takes more risks probably in it, in how it goes throughout. Um, the story, um, and it twists and turns in ways that the first time you don't expect it to, whereas Mutiny on the Bounty, while I don't watch, I'm, I was not really watching it for the plot because you could tell it was happening, um, yeah, that, that, you know, in and of itself is maybe a bit of an issue on a Best Picture winner. I think for me, I, I personally am going to put it above a, a French Connection, and this leaves Tanner to really be the deciding factor, which I, which is why I jumped on talking before he did. Um, but is is I, I think Mutiny on the Bounty does do its entertainment value and filmmaking and all of that more engaging in, in my eyes. This movie is a, a 30s movie, but it feels super fresh today. I mean, you don't feel its datedness almost at all, except for in those few moments and you know knowing a little bit about the production there's there's a few elements there but the editing feels snappy in those sequences like an edgar wright movie it feels exactly like that it's got the production value and the scale and the scope and the people clambering everywhere that you expected of something from the 60s but there's 30 years before it's so impressive from from that angle and it has really memorable performances i think there's a lot more to to the characters than some some of you letting on. And I also don't think it's as predictable as you guys are saying. I mean, I honestly thought that it would be conflict, mutiny, a little bit afterward as they split ways. But it just, it keeps going. It introduces the trial. It introduces following Bly with his people on the boat. And and that whole sequence, which I think is really interesting and, and continuing these stories on to a way that I think is just really, really compelling. It's 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 really not as predictable as, I, I, I completely disagree about its predictability, to be honest. But if it does fall into those few tropes and it is a little bit long in the tooth i think that's just because they had so much they wanted to tell and they they crammed so much in here that it feels a little bit bloated but all of it's so interesting to me and i remained absolutely riveted for what two hours and 15 minutes for this movie which is pretty long but i i enjoyed almost every moment of it okay tanner those excellent points tucker excellent points abram you want to say something one thing one thing i would like to say not to respond to to Tucker, but but Tanner's in an interesting position because Tucker said he's gonna be the one that breaks the vote, but either he's gonna make a deadlock or he's gonna yeah, make the majority. Exactly. So, so I propose something, and you can cut this out of the video if need be if we don't want to open this can of worms on camera. Uh-huh. So it's more of a planning idea. But if let's say Tanner, because I'm, based on based on the facial acting I'm getting off of one Mr. Dykstra, he might be leaning mutiny on the bounty. I think there's a compelling case for the audience to break the tie. Oh, Ooh, I kind of like that. Okay, okay. But of course, it's all predicated on him saying what I think he's going to say. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go mutiny on the bounty. Yeah. But Abram, I very uh, much commenters, you were so t- close. <laughs> yeah, sorry. 
Wait, but, no, that is no, 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 they, they they do Wait. break the tie. Oh, they They're do break the tie. Mutiny, I misunderstood. Mutiny. I'm sorry. Wait, that's okay. Mutiny on the bounty. It's a deadlock tie. Audience, yes. we need your help. We're drafting yes. you onto the onto the boat, the BLB bounty right now. We need your help. Uh, let us know in the comments. What do you think? Should well, imagine if we get another deadlock in the comments, but don't make sure. Uh, comment your vote: the French Connection or Mutiny on the Bounty? Which one is better? Yeah. This, this, John, this is your chance. Dan, this is your chance. A third person, so there's not another even Phil, number of yeah. people casting Phil, votes. Seth. Uh, Seth. Seth, Seth, right? Well, we might we might hold Seth back as like the oh, super okay. majority tiebreaker oh, if, well, if need be. Look, okay. But this is a this is might be a once in a in, in a lifetime opportunity for some of you to to, to shape the quest ranking yourself. It's true. So. This is true. Mm-hmm. It's gonna feel weird not having a not having a, a list ranking at the end of this episode. A definitive. What, what spot. is its approximate place? So well. it is either going to be in um, place twenty. What is it going to be? Either in twenty three or twenty four. So yes. if you think it should go uh, above French Connection, then you put it in twenty three. If you think it should go below French Connection, in twenty four, uh, and and. We will find out. We'll find out next time um, where this all ends up. I'm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's riveting. You, you you gotta. You have to stick around. You'll have to watch the next episode, I guess, to really find out what know. happens. We gotta we're know. Just, you gotta know. This we're, is we're, awesome. We're giving we you a little bit of time. a little bit of a cliffhanger. Well, maybe not every time because I kind of like to know what's happening there. But it's all right. It's all right. Uh, yeah, it's okay. The audience, we love you guys, and uh, you get to have a little Thank fun you, this the audience. time. Yeah. And so. But, Finally, There's one thing the that we will know what is happening next week. Though, yes. And that's yes. what movie we are going to be watching. So yes. I have that spin wheel. T- Tanner, you have that oh-so-sweet rhyme. I regret that I didn't prepare a sea shanty version of it this time. Oh, but... that would have been great. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, well. But regardless, it is sort of a, it's sort of a shanty within itself. It's a, it's a wheel shanty. Yes. <clears throat> okay, hit me. I'm Taylor. prepared. Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Give us a movie that makes us squeal. Is it on digital? Is it unreal? Wheel wheel, what is your deal? Whoa, okay, Whoa, that number. Look at that. Single digits, that number is three. It's a okay, very, so, very new one. Wait, I think I know which one this is. is am I right? Oh. Well, why, why don't you guess first, because it wouldn't make any sense to... <laughs> is, is it Shape of Water, or am I off by no. here? Yeah, you're off by one year. Because remember that we, we cut out a few. Like, that we've watched a few. So yeah, yeah we've not... watched a, we've watched a few of these. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so so completely. that doesn't completely go back, but you're very close. In fact, one year off, we are on the 2016 Best Picture winner, directed oh. by Barry Jenkins, starring Trevante Rhodes, Andre Holland, and uh, and and Mahershala Ali somewhere in there. We're watching Moonlight next week. Whoa. I've never okay. Seen it. You've never seen Moonlight. I've had no. to I've had to continually put this movie off because I know we were gonna watch it for Quest, so I'm glad that we're doing it now and not later on down the road because this is a highly acclaimed film that I was very a, much wanting to watch. This is a very highly acclaimed film. For for 45 seconds, I was allowed True. to say that one of my top five films of all time won the Oscars that year, but ah. alas, clerical errors made La La Land, Damien Chazelle's masterpiece, this, disappear. This, but maybe. It's going to come up on the show at some point. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Say? Well, <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to Moonlight. This, yeah, this is a really, really good movie. Um, not to set your expectations too high, but I hope I, I am super interested in figuring out and, and hearing 
what you guys have to think about it because it's very different. I think it's it's quite a it's a, it's a different style. Um, and you know, I don't think I'm going to say anything more about it. Barry Jenkins um, is 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 quite a quite a prolific director. Has made some good stuff outside of Moonlight, and so we will find out really what the what the whole verdict is on this film. And mm-hmm. man, I can't wait to rewatch it. I love watching this movie. So there Let's we go. It. Let's do it. We will see you guys next time. Make sure to uh, well, make sure to vote on which which film you think is better, French Connection or um, Mutiny on the Bounty. Not which film you think is better, which film you think is a better Best Picture winner, because the quest for the bestest is about Best Picture winners and not movies at large. We're really trying to figure out which one is the very best, and your vote is needed. I or need however, you, or however you want to do it. You're, you, you, you know, Timo I've, will never know. I will never know. You can say whatever. Do what you want. You're gonna anyway. And with that. I bid you farewell. Goodbye, sailors. Happy seas. And uh, we'll catch you, catch you guys next week. Peace.